welcome everyone to the transit. It's good to see everybody. As Jeff said, I'm John Scott, for those who, who don't know me. And it's definitely a privilege to be up here to continue in our series, Summer in Psalms, with you here today. Before I get started, if you would, just please bow with me for a moment of prayer. Father God, thank you that once again we can gather as your people. And Father, as we hear your word today, we ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and teach us what you would have us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was preparing for the, for the service this week, a good, a good illustration of the psalm that, uh, that we're going to talk about today came to me as I was talking to, uh, to Will Rollins at work. Um, so throughout, throughout my lifetime, since I've, since I've become a believer, I often struggle with the question, what does faith look like in the face of trials? You know, how are you supposed to, to act? How do you exude confidence? How do you do that in, in the face of trials? And this question hit me pretty, pretty hard in 2004. I was over in Korea in the 2nd Infantry Division. I was a troop commander over there for a headquarters troop. And this was my second command, and we we're doing the dreaded change of command inventories. That's where you inventory all the property. I think for that one, it was worth like $48 million or something like that. So the commander signs for all that, and he's responsible for the maintenance and the accountability and all these different things. And uh, so we're going through these inventories. You know, I had a, my XO was, was handpicked. He was my guy. He was, he was good to go, squared away, the best lieutenant in the, in the squadron. And as we're going through the inventories, we count everything up, and it's like, hey, we're missing like $100,000 worth of equipment. And I'm like, what? See, one more time, we're missing what? It's like we're missing about $100,000 worth of equipment. So, of course, me being the commander, now I'm responsible for this stuff. I'm going to have to cut a check to the Army for $100,000, you know, out of my retirement savings, which I happen to not have. Um, and and it, it hit me hard because this was my second command. You know, I had been an executive officer myself for almost two years uh, before, before I took command. I had been a supply sergeant as a lieutenant because we didn't have one for maybe three or four months. So I knew supply. If there was one thing I knew was supply, so I just couldn't understand what was going on. So as time went by, I finally I asked the chaplain. I said, hey, man, why is God doing this to me? You know, why? You know, I don't know if I thought God ran off with the property or what was going on, but, you know, I was like, why is God doing this to me? You know, I've got a wife. I've got three kids. I can't pay $100,000 for this equipment. But once I asked that question to the chaplain, then my problem shifted. I was less worried about $100,000 and more thinking, how, how could you even do that? How could you even say that? Are you not who you claim to be? Times have gotten tough, and now all of a sudden you're accusing God. So, you know, my question is, have you ever been in a situation like that where you're questioning God's motives, wondering why God has, has something going on? And, of course, whenever this happens, it's always for no reason. You know, God's doing this to me for, for no reason. And then after that, have you got to that place where you're like, what's, what's wrong with me? Why am I questioning God who I'm supposed to have uh, faith in. So if you have been in that situation, or if you can think and kind of even remember just a little bit of that situation, you know, I just want to encourage you that, that you're not alone 
in that. And in fact, as we'll see today, you probably have some pretty high-profile company. But there's, there's kind of another layer to this. If you have ever gotten to that point and then went out on the limb and asked that question to somebody, you know, that person may have tended to, to come back at you by quoting a scripture or offering some type of a, a platitude or even coming to the defense of God's honor, you know, trying to shore up your faith. It's not malicious. You know, they're, they're trying to help, but that's just kind of the reaction that sometimes we, we get from people. They, we're, we're uncomfortable, which makes them a little uncomfortable, so in order to make us comfortable, they're going to they're help us get back on, on the faith wagon. But sometimes what happens is we then get to the point where we don't want to share our true feelings with anybody anymore. We don't want to uh, be invalidated by people's responses. And if that was as, as rough as it got, we might be okay, but this also begins to shape how we look at God. When we interact with other people, well, maybe God is exactly the same way. And maybe I can't communicate these feelings to God either. So begin to turn everything inward. And our communication with people starts to become superficial. And our communication with God also begins to become superficial because of the way we feel. Now, one of the reoccurring themes in this series, this summer of Psalms, really is communication with God. These different songs, these different prayers from the different psalmists are addressed to God and how people interact with God in, in all kinds of, of different times. And last week, Jeff preached on Psalm 107, and in there, several times, it said, cry out to God. And while Psalm 107 didn't give a specific example of what crying out to God looked like, today we're going to take a look at a way that David cried out to God, a very real, very raw, raw, very heartfelt crying out to God in a time of extreme distress. So rather than superficiality, what God wants us to do and what God tells us is be real with me, cry out to me, trust in me. Be real with me, cry out to me, trust in me. So this morning, you can turn in your Bibles or flip to your smartphones to Psalm 22. That's what we're going to be looking at. Psalm 22. So Psalms is in the, in the middle of the Bible or on your smartphone. It's PS, probably, that you can, that you can tap on. Um, psalm 22. So we're going to look at this psalm a little bit out of order because I want to set up the, the situation before we get into David's response. So Psalm 22, we're going to start in... Uh, verse 12, which is really the third movement of the psalm. And I'll, I'll read to you for this first one, then I'll invite you to read when we get a little bit later. All right. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. Like a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. 
They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So this is the situation that David is facing. Something very, very stressful, very life-changing, possibly even life-threatening. He has the bulls, the bulls of Bashan. They represent tangible enemies that seek to devour him. These could be enemies. The, the situation isn't really spelled out in this psalm, and there's no extra notes that kind of say when it was. But we know that David was, was constantly leading Israel in war. So this could be a time of war. He could be surrounded by the Philistines or a group of the Ites, you know, the Canaanites, the Ammonites, the Perizzites. Could be, could be anything going on. Um, but someone wants to destroy him. And then he describes some of his own feelings. He's poured out like water and all his strength is dried up. He's got no means to resist. He's tired. He's at the end of his rope. He doesn't know how to fight back. All of his bones are out of joint. So that could be symbolic or it could be some, some physical pain, some excruciating physical pain. His heart melts like wax, symbolizing fear. His tongue sticks to his mouth. No words to say. More enemies, dogs, evildoers. Pierced hands and feet. Now we know that later on, this is the description of Jesus' crucifixion. So it's that level of, of pain and anxiety that David is feeling that, that we will see you know, later when Jesus dies for, for the sins of mankind. He says he can count all of his bones, symbolizing a starvation, a malnutrition. Again, just there's nothing there. You can look and, and he can see all of his bones. And the people, they gloat and stare and divide garments. Again, we see that forward in the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. They're making a mockery over David. And they, they want to watch with entertainment as, as he's killed. So, I know probably what David needs. What David needs in a situation like this. A situation where he really feels like there's nowhere else to turn. What he needs is a little bit of James Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So a good, a good scripture can probably speak right into that situation and completely change his thinking around. Well, the truth is, that's exactly what David does. It's just, I don't think that it looks exactly how we would expect it to look. I think when we think about considering something pure joy, we think about, you know, being happy and skipping around. And for some reason, I think about having a bag on my arm, although I don't carry a bag. But, uh, but David does consider it joy, but it doesn't look exactly like that. So let's take a look and, and read together uh, Psalm 22, verses 1 to 2 to see his, uh, his initial reaction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So that's, that's his response to his situation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that word forsaken means abandoned. So David is asking God, why? Why have you abandoned me in this time of need? 
I listened to you when I was in the field, when I had to fight off wild animals from my father's flock, when I engaged and killed the giant. I was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. And yet, why have you abandoned me? David, he's hopeless. In this moment, he's hopeless. And he felt that 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 God, that God who had been with him since he was a little boy, had turned his back. And these are the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. When he was being crucified, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, God in the flesh, God's son, the savior of the world, cried out these very same words that David had cried out in his time of anguish. Some people, when they, when they are teaching on the crucifixion, say that God actually turned his back on Jesus in that moment. But thankfully for us, the Bible promises that God will never leave or forsake his people. It's a promise that he made to Joshua when he was moving to take the promised land, and also a promise that he, he gives to believers in Hebrews uh, chapter 13. We won't look at that. But the Bible tells us and gives us the confidence that that won't actually happen, even if it feels that way. So we'll move on to to verses 3 through 5, because his response isn't finished yet. You can read with me again. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. So David, he's he's shoring himself up. Obviously, he has stored up some knowledge. He is familiar with what has happened in the past. And even though his initial thought is to speak to God and tell God, to ask God, why have you forsaken me? He reminds himself that in history past, God, God has done it. Through difficult times, God has been there. And God hears his people's cries and he delivers him. But again, that's not the end of his response. So we move to what's really the second movement of this psalm, verses uh, verses 6 through 8. David says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So again, he's got that that low, and then he strengthens himself, but then he looks at the people around him. Now he's, you know, kind of taking his eyes off God a little bit and put his eyes on the people and seeing how they're reacting. And and he's dealing with mockers and and people that are kind of like in a wait-and-see attitude. They're, they're, They're doubters. Now, I got to admit that I've been blessed in my life. Uh, Over the time that I've been here, I haven't dealt with a lot of mockers. I haven't dealt with a lot of doubters. Either that or the people that do do those things, they're very good at doing it behind my back, and I don't know. So if that's going on, just keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. All right? So, So since I couldn't pull an example out of my own life of this, I had to, I had to engage in some research. I had to scour through books, written books, with like covers and stuff. You know, I had to scour through books. I scoured through 
encyclopedias and textbooks and, and books on theology and all these things. I, I, I hit the internet. I even used Google. You know, I, I, had to go, I had to go deep to find the theological, psychological, sociological, and, and, and biological reasons behind these mockers. But it came to me. As some of you know, I had surgery a couple of months ago. I've been doing a lot of rehab, been riding the exercise bike a lot. And that's where my research culminated. I pulled out my iPhone. I sat it down. I opened up an app, Netflix, and I found season one of Army Wives. <laughs> and I watched this Army Wives. And I'll tell you, it's, it's rough. You know, I, there, there are people in there that are doubters and mockers and talking behind people's backs. I don't, under, I don't, I don't know how you military people do it. It's crazy. It's crazy. And especially from Fort Bragg, because I think that post is supposed to be Fort Bragg. I don't know how anybody could live there. Man, it's, it's, it's tough. But all that to say that it is difficult. You know, a situation is made much, much worse when you do have the people who you thought you could count on, who you thought you were there with you, turning their back on you. So in addition to the enemies, there's people right in Israel that are looking at David and they're like, hey, this is God's anointed. Let's see kind of what happens. And again, that same thing happened on the cross. He said, he's, he claims to be the son of God. You know, let's see if God will save him. He's crying out to God. Let's see if he'll come and take him down or, or send one of his prophets, all right? But in the second half of this, he comes back again, verses 9 through 11. Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. So while the people around him devalued him, while they doubted, while they mocked, David reminded himself that his true value was rooted in God. He told himself that God's interest in him started before he was born. God knew him. And David had had those times in the field alone. He did have that confrontation with the giant. He had survived running from Saul and, and all the other assaults before him. So David knew where his true value was. And at the end there, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. He is, he is crying out to God. So he goes from asking God, why have you abandoned me, but still knows that ultimately that's where his help is found. His help is found in God. So what does this mean for, for all of us? Again, this is David showing us through, through his experience He's showing us what God is telling us. Be real with me. Cry out to me. Trust in me. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing you have to do is remember that God cares for his people. As David did, he looked, he looked into the past. He looked into what God had done in the history of Israel. For us, we know what God has done in the lives of the people around us. We have stories and testimonies. If it's not from personal friends, we've got things written in books. We hear all kinds of things. We know that God is, is for us. 
at, for us and not against us, despite our, our circumstances. And while it's perfectly fine to, to be real with God, and we should be real with God, we, we're not, we're not, we don't have to give ourselves over to that completely to where it uh, destroys us or derails us because we know that God is good. The second thing is we remember that God cares for us. God cares for you. God cares for me. So it's not just some person in some story that we read about how God turned it around in their lives, but God cares for each one of us as individuals. God has, has done things in each one of our individual lives that, that we can remember in these times of need. So it's not just someone who is uh, hyper-spiritual or I, someone who you look at and say, I could never do that, I could never be that, I could never have that confidence. He cares individually for each of you as well. So the third thing is actually crying out to God. And that's, that's the, fourth, the fourth movement of the psalm. There's no, uh, no slide for it. But after, right after David had, had given out the situation, he cries out and says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. So he cried out. He cried out to God, even though at the time he felt abandoned, even though at the time he felt that even his own people were turned against him. He cried out to God for help. He knew that that was the source, that God was the only place where he could find true deliverance. And then fourth, teach others, testify to others about what God is, about who God is, about what he does. David continues on throughout the, throughout the rest of this psalm. And he, and he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. That's in, in verse 22. So even though he feels abandoned, he still knows who God really is. And it's really those types of times when, when things are, are very, very difficult that you continue to give that praise to God that, that people can see that your faith is real, that it, despite or in spite of your circumstances, you're still turning to God. Because as I've said before, it's easy to do when things are going well. It's, it's easy to give credit to anybody when things are going well. Unfortunately, we usually give credit to ourselves first, and then we'll throw a little praise God on there sometimes. But, but it's easy to do when things are going well. And then he, then he continues. From you, talking about God, comes praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear, before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And then he gives a vision of the ultimate future, of the culmination of all things. He says, at the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and the families of the nations shall worship before him. Elsewhere, 
we read that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So that's, again, a vision of David looking forward and seeing that despite all of these circumstances, despite what's going on, God, you are vindicated. You will be vindicated. You are good. You are for your people. And then towards the end, he writes, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. So one of the ways that that teaching and that, that, that testifying is important is so that people have that history. Like David had that history to look back on. He could look back on the history of Israel and see what God had done for them when they were captives of the, of the Egyptians, when they were going through the Exodus, when they had no food in the desert, when they had no water in the desert, when they did move into the land to capture it. That history was built up, and we have to do that for those around us. When, when we do have those things happen in our lives, we need to share them. We need to share the tough times. We need to share those resolutions with each other so that we can be encouraged in our spirit by each other so that when we need it, we know that God is there. All that to say, and again, to encourage you, because life is real. Life is real. Life isn't, life isn't about the movies. I like movies. I like TV. And in fact, you know, I think the, uh, the Army Wives, season one, I think in the interest of being able to have some of these illustrations that I will have to watch seasons through to seven, which are also available on Netflix. That's not an endorsement of Netflix by this church or any of its affiliates. But life is real. Life is real. And there are those times when we do feel like we're at the end of our rope and we don't have to hide. We don't have to hide. Can we hide? If, if we decide, hey, I'm not going to tell God that I'm a little bit mad at him right now. I'm not going to tell God that I feel like he's abandoned me right now. Does God not know? Is there, is there somewhere that we can go in our hearts that God won't know what's really there? So it's okay. God, God can handle it. He's, he's, for lack of a better term, he's a big boy. He can, he can do it. And he's worked in lives, and he's been doing this for a long time. He's been doing this a little bit longer than, than us. Um, so acknowledge your feelings. And, and that's important, because when we feel like we can't be ourselves in front of God, it's, just a, it's a lot the same way that we feel when we feel like we can't be ourselves in front of our friends, or in front of our loved ones, in front of our families. We become angry. We become scared. We feel condemned. And in order to avoid having to feel that way, we just, we just turn inward. We just turn inward and avoid it. And think about it. If we turn inward and avoid God, we're in a pretty dangerous place. That's a pretty dangerous place to be. And when we feel like we can't release, we also become bitter. And that's kind of the worst place to be. Being bitter at God is kind of the worst place that we can be. And, and for us, that bitterness comes because we feel like we're not... We're not understood. The people around us don't understand. God doesn't understand. But we know something different. We know that Jesus 
does understand. He asked that very same question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands. That's why he became one of us and walked among us for that exact purpose of understanding. As it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Jesus asked that question, but yet he was without sin. He was without sin in asking, God, why have you left me? He understands. He understands. So God can handle it. God understands it. And God is a safe place that we can go and ask that question, what is going on? Why, why are you doing this? Why have you forsaken me? God, what is going on? He can handle it. And he's looking for us. He's looking for you. He's looking for me to then say, God, I don't know why you've done this, but please help me. So be real with him. Cry out to him and trust in him because God is there. He's there for us. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you so much that we can be real with you, Lord. Lord, that when we feel like we have nowhere else to turn, that we can turn to you. Thank you that you have experienced what we go through day to day. Thank you, Lord, that despite our unworthiness, that you make us worthy. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be ashamed, that we don't have to fear when we're at the end of our rope and feel like there's nowhere else to go. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the knowledge of your ways and your will, that you would give us the understanding and the courage that we need to walk in your truth, that you will be with us, Lord, as we are on this journey, as we follow you, Lord God. Strengthen us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.